0: Hi and welcome back to the Mountain Bike Podcast presented by GMBN. I'm Neil Donahue and I'm back ready for round two. Uh, I've always wanted to do a podcast actually. Glad we're finally doing it. Uh, it's been lots of fun actually. Uh, so we're making plans going ahead for future guests. We've actually got lots of racing coming up. Uh, next weekend is the Endurable Series in Madeira. And then the Cross Country World Cup kicks off with two rounds back to back, Albstadt in Germany and then Nova Mesto. Then up to round two, Daniel, Fort William. We'll be doing a podcast from Fort Williams, hopefully catching up with some of the pros there as well. Uh, thanks for the great feedback on episode one. Of course, you can leave your comments on YouTube. Uh, you can watch this on YouTube if you want to. Really, it's a podcast. Of course, it's meant to be audio, so you can listen along on YouTube. Uh, also, it can be found uh, on Audio Boom. So via Audio Boom, it goes out to Spotify, Google. It's on iTunes. And I think Deezer is coming as well. Uh, right. So for this episode, we've got an ex World Cup mechanic and the new GMBN Tech presenter, Henry Quinney. So thought it'd be cool to have a chat with you. Yeah, Get thanks to know for me a little getting bit. me along. Yeah. Um, ask you some questions about being a World Cup mechanic. Mm-hmm. So I'm uh, I'm inter- interested to hear a few of those stories as well. Yep. But also get to know you. You've been on the GMBN Tech Show, Doddy, just yes, this week, yeah. so uh, get over there and watch that if you've not done that already. Um, really, I think it just shows how small the industry is, really, the bike industry. I've never yeah. met you before yes, until totally. like last week, but yeah. it seems that we know probably at least 20 people in common.
1: Yeah, I kind of subscribe to the theory that there are only 12 mountain bikers in the world, and <laughs> yeah. you meet the same people over and over, and it's people that you know really well. Yeah. But I also, it's not like, oh, I saw them once. It's like, often it's like, yeah. Oh yeah, you know, I was talking to him last week, you know, it's <laughs> such a small place. Oh, it's funny, at uh, my age
0: as well, there's loads of people now that I know working in the industry, so just sort of people, pro racers or mechanics mm-hmm. have sort of grown up a bit and actually gone on to stay in the industry and do some pretty cool jobs. Mm-hmm. And they Yeah, totally. Yeah, giving you references actually for your oh. job. <laughs>
1: Something like oh, yeah, I'll, I'll pay on the backhanders later, you have to give me a list.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, Let's start off with sort of where you've come from. Uh, you're British. You've been living in New Zealand, but
1: how have you ended up in the bike industry for people who want yeah. maybe want to do the same thing? I mean, I remember just being kind of when I first got into biking, it was like, oh my god, like this is what I've been waiting for. Yeah, you know, it felt like I was like, oh my god, but so, you know, being like kind of a teenager thinking like how how is it's like. I think it may be a bit different now, although it's only been, you know, ten years or whatever. Yeah. But it felt like it was just like the best kept secret biking. And I only, I only got into it when I was like seventeen. I was just like, how is that, how have I not been doing this the whole time, you know? Yeah. And from then I just thought the best thing to be or the coolest thing to be and all I wanted to be was like, a good bike mechanic. Right. Well, okay. And um and so I started off to working like, you know, shops, you know, here, like yeah. working Leisure Lakes in Cheltenham and Yeah. And that was like my first kind of taste of like working on you know, it's funny how you get desensitized to it. Remember when a downhill bike used to come to the store? Yeah. Like a nice downhill bike, and we'd all just be like, oh yeah. my that's god, like thing. time would stop, you know, like <laughs> and everyone would just be like, you know, jumping on it, and like, yeah. Yeah, I want to work on you know, that sort of thing. Um, I
0: think that's a common theme as well. I think almost everyone I know in the industry, races included, have worked in bike shops mm. probably as a mechanic. Yeah, totally.
1: And I think it's, I mean, I, I I think that everyone should do, it should be like public service. Yeah. When you're 18, you should do six months in retail just to learn how to speak people in shops, you know? But also, it was, you know, working loads of different bikes. And after that, I kind of, I was a loose end and I thought, I heard New Zealand's pretty good. Yeah. And um, what, for riding specifically? For riding, yeah, yeah. pretty much. Because actually, actually, a bit before that, I actually did my first season in New Zealand before working for Leisure Lakes. Um, And basically, I I was a road cyclist when I was a a teenager. That's what I got into. And I got a mountain bike, and I thought, this is cool, man. Yeah. And immediately, I didn't know much about mountain biking. I I knew that Stratford-upon-Avon wasn't like the hub of activity. And um, I actually saw a video. It's really stupid. I saw a video of Kenny McGarry riding Dreamline in Queenstown. Oh, yeah? And I just thought, yeah, I want a slice of that. And I just pretty much went, and that was it. And I was the world's biggest punter. I was absolutely terrible. I didn't yeah. really know, well, you know who I still am, probably, but uh, <laughs> you know, I was there with all my co- coordinated kit, just getting absolutely roasted by these super talented Kiwi riders. Yeah, I was just like, what's But I've, like, I'm coming from, like, working in the shops and stuff, like, but I've got the Troy Lee knee pads and <laughs> matching with my jersey. How are you better than me on a bike? Well, it's a good bike scene. Really, oh, it's so strong. So, man. whereabouts in New Zealand were you? First season, I did up in um, North of South Island in Nelson. Yeah. And ever since then, it was in Greenstown. Which is just, yeah, such a strong scene. And it's
0: quite a lot of expats out there as
1: well. Brits. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, Brits Brits, North Americans. Yeah. Um big like South American t- contingent oh, as well. Okay. Yeah.
0: It's funny, I went to Santiago. I've been there twice now, mm. I went with Blake earlier, and it's crazy the scene in Chile. It's mm. huge. and It's something you know, I've not been to South America that much. I've raced Brazil World Cup a couple of times, and you just don't really see it. You don't see yeah. it, especially in our media as such. Yes. I mean, we're trying to readdress that a bit by going there. Yeah. But, you know, it's hard to comprehend how big the scene really was in Chile mm. before I went there and saw
1: it. Yeah, and I heard the writing's incredible like there. It right? is amazing, Yeah, my, my wife's from Santiago. Right, okay. So, you know... I'm hopefully going to go over Yeah, mountains. you got to get over there. Yeah, and she says it's just the mountain's That's, huge. And,
0: I've not actually been to New Zealand yet. It's, t- it's top of my list of places I need yeah. to get
1: out to and uh, yeah. see Crankworth really. Yeah, it? totally. Is Rotorua has got undoubtedly amazing riding. Um, but I think, you know, I'm probably a bit biased, but the, the riding in Queensland is sensational. And yeah. it's only getting better. The mountain bike club digs. You know, it's, it's funny because there's always been amazing descents, but only in the last couple of years... We're getting to those descents made easier, and it's just the unsung heroes that slog out and build the climbs. Yeah, right. No everyone, that, yeah. Yeah, everyone's excited for kicking in a rut, but yeah. it takes, like, you know, somebody a bit of work ethic to be like, oh, let's get a really consistent gradient. Yeah. Lots of switchbacks, you know, fair play to them. Um, so, how did you make that
0: step from being an enthusiastic rider,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, working in a bike shop, to actually working on a World Cup team? Yeah. So, that, what team was it, firstly?
1: Uh, working originally for um, what is now in sync racing which was like the fun factory team okay um so with harry Malloy (laughs) and that and that was my first first taste of it it comes from i think when you live in a town you know queenstown or moorsy or maybe whistler if you can get in a good shot there it's amazing the contacts you make yeah you know i don't think i think you know you gotta have some substance not just who you know yeah right it it helps
0: (laughs) (laughs) wow I think yeah, I, I know that from my side of the industry as well. Definitely, if you know people, same in the you know in the wider world, I suppose. Mm. But it definitely helps who you know, of course.
1: Yeah, and uh, that was working at Vertigo with Paul Angus, you know, our, our mutual friend Pang.
0: Exactly. Yeah, so I raced you know uh, downhill in the UK with him in the early 2000s, probably. Mm. So yeah, those people then go on to work all over yes, the industry. Yeah, totally. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then you moved on to Polygon, the yes. UR team. Yeah. Okay, so working
1: on uh, whose bikes was that? Uh, I kind of kind of moved around a bit originally i was working for tracy yeah um basically her mechanic jamie who also worked at vertigo just before i started there but we were really good pals yeah he was um kind of not sure he could commit to the season so i started working on tracy's bike and then he was actually going to come back yeah. so um after you know a little bit into the season i ended up working with uh, kenta gallagher yeah but i also worked for um did some work with sam sam reynolds um Hi, yeah. then did like test camps and mick and stuff like that and <laughs> You know they're all a great bunch of guys, and it was yes. it was called cool. Kento especially. I've just got, I not only got respect for him because he's a really nice guy, yeah, and he's a genuinely one of the good guys, but also just I've also always got a lot of respect, you know, for like. Hard work and I think his story
0: is pretty uh, incredible, really. It's like you don't really hear about someone. So, to what even he was a really good cross country racer, mm-hmm. sort of on the British cycling program with mm-hmm. good support. He won one of the cross country eliminator World Cups, yep, didn't he? he, did, he did. And then sort of jacked it all in and wanted to race yeah, downhill.
1: And he's just such a genuine guy, yeah. And I think that displays in that you know, he genuinely felt he wanted to race downhill, not that he was going to make more money, not that he was going to be more successful, right? But he just love he was like I just want to ride downhill
0: and gave up that sort of you know rising star status oh, yeah, as totally. a cross country racer sort of risked it all to race World Cup downhill yeah. it's really impressive actually
1: yeah and, and he's you, you know he wouldn't tell you but the amount of like because he's a very humble guy but he'll drop in a conversation oh yeah that's when I was I actually had um, just uh, won this road race in Belgium or whatever yeah and you will be like oh okay cool so did you do a bit of that oh nothing much I mean I, I lived in Belgium for six months but you know yeah, that's just, right. that's just how, how you do it I was like oh okay cool cool cool, cool. <laughs> you know like it's good to see those all,
0: all-round riders you yeah, know, mm. so good at everything yeah uh what type of riding do you like doing
1: i just like well actually for years i've been a bit of a you know a real kind of trail rider that doesn't i think for me i've always i've never really liked the whole chairlift thing. I've, oh, right, okay. I've always much rather pedal yeah um i've actually got a hip injury and then this season after a few years without a downhill bike I got a downhill bike and I've had to eat a lot of humble pie because, (laughs) oh my God, I've been having such a good time. Yeah, I've I've always felt that, like, uh, you know, riding, like, when you go and ride some, like, awesome, like, backcountry or, which can be, you know, steep and techy, et cetera, um, loop, it's like, like, you know, you're curating the trails. It's, like, being a fine food critic. It's, like, a small amount, but that stuff's really, really good. Yeah, right. Then, like, bike park, I felt in the past has been a bit more, like, Know, your fast food that's just easy to get to but it's not necessarily good for you.
0: Yeah. But like yeah. I said, I've
1: actually been having a good time this season. So
0: Yeah, true. Probably should, should quite up
1: about that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I need to get back on a downhill bike. It's been a long time since so mm. I've ridden one. I sort of just jump on my trail bike now and it's, it's the easiest thing for me to yeah. ride over, But
1: I think with trail riding as well, like, I've gone incrementally just lighter and shorter travel bikes without really yeah. intentionally gravitating towards it. Yeah. But it was like 170, then 160, and now I'm on a 140-mile bike. Then when you hop on a downhill bike, it's just like oh my God, Yeah, this can do anything. You just feel like an absolute hero. Yeah, totally.
0: Uh, yeah, I've not ridden a modern one. That's sure. it's been a long time. So the right. old bikes when I rode them. <laughs> um, so you came from working in the bike shop as a mechanic. Mm-hmm. I, th- I guess a lot of pro mechanics start that way. Mm, if you I look at the so. World Cup pits, cross-country and downhill and Endurable Series, they're probably all ex-bike shop mechanics. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny, I'm not saying all bike shop mechanics are salty, but I think some of the like the angriest, uh, yeah. saltiest people I've ever met have been ex-bike shop mechanics.
1: Yeah. Why do you think that is? Oh, man. I actually, I was working in a shop once and this guy started, who who's kind of, you know, a bit younger than me, and he'd been working some really good shops yeah. and he immediately came in and was like a bit salty. Knows everything. And I just said, dude, we can, we can do this if you want. <laughs> we can spend six months arguing and being hard at each other, talking about who knows which, about what, I was like, i'm not really interested yeah you know i think there's almost like i think it's sadly it's kind of like a, a male sort of alpha male thing yeah maybe you know, like kind of like you know puffing the chest and yeah. oh you don't know about those 1998 Marzocchi's, you invalid you know it's like <laughs> yeah. but actually how would you not no one's born with that knowledge yeah um, right i think some of the best workshops i've worked in have been just like really like about the freedom of knowledge not about the exclusivity of it. yeah right you know and i think People get annoyed because I mean you know, I've, I'm not gonna lie, be like holding that. I probably in the past got annoyed when somebody comes in and you're just like, oh god, why me? You see their bike, yeah, it doesn't inspire you to be like, and it's got dog whatever on it. And you're like, yeah, right, oh, you know. But I think, um, I, th- I know what you mean. I think I think some bike shops just need like a clip around the ear and be like, your life isn't so bad, mate. You know. I think if you
0: get to know the right bike shop mechanic to look after your bike, it can be mm-hmm. like a. A cool relationship where this person can yeah. be the person to go to for advice and also give them the cash to fix your bike. But yeah, totally. I guess they have to deal with all sorts of people that don't necessarily know everything. They want their bike a certain way, and it might not be the best way. So it's pretty pretty tricky job, to be fair. Yeah, dealing with Joe Public and their bikes. Yeah. Um. So, what would be your job responsibilities when it comes to a World Cup?
1: Oh, making sure it doesn't fall apart, that's the main thing. I mean, the mechanics actually, I think, when you look at World Cups externally, you mm. think it's like this, you know, multi faced beast and it's, you know, this huge rampaging thing that there's, but actually, when you actually go down to like, you know, the structure of it, yeah. the mechanics don't just work on the bikes. We do a lot like, you know, the driving, the, sort of the pit setups, yeah. all that sort of stuff, and and you know, you do do a lot of, you cover a lot of a lot of basics, but I think, Mechanics, you know, I not Polygon, it wasn't just, it wasn't just, you know, working on the bike, you'd also be doing all the ordering, all the stock. Right, okay. All the product feedback and development would be handled by mechanics. Um, and also, you know, even even logistically, it's, that's one thing when I started doing that, that's one thing that I was taken aback by was yeah. I didn't actually have the skills logistically. Because when we're, say, in New Zealand, and we know that we're only going to be in Monsanto and for seven days. Yeah. But we also know the nature of the beast, we're going to break a lot of rims on Montan. Yeah, so we right. need to get some rims delivered there, but we've got nowhere to get them to. Yeah. So you've then got like a two-day window that you've got to get all these spare parts to. Yeah. And yeah. stuff like that for, you know, I didn't, it was like a huge, like back of fire, like, oh my God, like this is like a big operation to be taking on, you know, essentially with no experience in that sort of thing. Logistically, it was, it was, yeah. it was quite in depth.
0: It's difficult. I remember when, obviously, well, I, I rode for MVUK St. Cruz, which is a, a British-based team. So, uh European World Cups is easy. You just Ooh. well we had a big camper van, uh yeah. motorhome. you pack everything there, off you go, you're sorted with loads of wheels. But when it comes to Montan or anything in North mm. America, you've got to try and, like I say, get your logistics over there. We used to actually pit with a co like a sponsor like Fox yeah. suspension or something like that. They'd really help us out. But it must be hard for those big teams that really want to take loads of stuff. Yeah. Well it just gets expensive I suppose. You've yeah. got to take boxes and boxes of kit it, and an easy up and all that stuff. But
1: I actually I think when you got, we called it the mothership because it's this huge lorry.
0: Yeah, like I've, I've done a thing, a, a GMBN brand yeah, tour I mean, of that. It's massive. huge, isn't it?
1: But you kind of, you fall into the trap of every every bike component that's ever made should be in that truck, yeah, which right. is obviously really impossible because you have got, you don't, it's actually, although it's very big, you have got very limited space. Yeah. And um, and when you're at Saint anne or a flyaway race and somebody says, have you got that, uh, you know, that previous generation chain device that went out of fashion 10 years ago? <laughs> they're Never going to ask it because they know you haven't got it, yeah. But right. when they've got that anticipation, I did you know, even though you have got a lot of space, everything is so tightly packed, there's no wiggle room in, in one of those race trucks, it's sort yeah, of, sure. And because yeah. you've gone the road for so long, you've got to take like tyres, think how much room that takes up, you know.
0: I was, I think about that now. when We're looking at the first round of the world cup downhill where they're running mixed wheel bikes, now you've got to take <laughs> rims they're, and they're spokes. Uh, spokes would be the, oh, I used to hate. Building wheels. I used to have a mechanic, but sometimes I do a lot of it myself. Mm-hmm. And Monster and Fort William, I knew, especially as a flat rider, I think, flat power rider, I would go through three or four wheels of those mm. rounds, uh, rear wheels. Front mm. wheels will last me all year, pretty much. But mm. I would then have to take all that kit to make sure I've got it. Yeah. And some unfortunate person's going to have to start rebuilding wheels for me. Yeah.
1: I remember that f- my first EOMO cups so at Fort William, and I'm not going to name names, but. <laughs> Carbon rims we were going through them like.
0: I was gonna ask you that. I remember yeah, oh. one of the big teams again, no names mentioned, big teams going to Montset and and going through thirty rims, I mm-hmm. heard, in one weekend. Just but, almost expendable things.
1: Yeah. And I mean I don't want to chuck anyone under the bus, but do you ever feel like why are carbon rims so expensive? Yeah, it's right. Because they give so many away to race teams. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then you just destroy Oh, can I can have like a batch of 100 rims. Destroyed. Yeah. You know? But those, tell you what, were very, very good. Last year, we I think the whole team, so four riders who were all obviously really hard at Mont Saint Am, yeah. those E13 wheels, I think they did three. Okay. The whole right. team, which is Kenta didn't do one, and Kenta yeah. he looks at a wheel wrong and it breaks. He's a pretty big guy, Kenta. Yeah, and he's. How to put it, mechanically unsympathetic? <laughs> yeah. <maybe? laughs>
0: yeah. Mick Hanna must break things. I would have thought he's so yeah, strong. He
1: is. he is, but he's also, I think, you know, when you break a wheel in a final, yeah. who cares? That's fine. Yeah. You know, obviously, right. it's disappointing for the points, but in terms of actually expectation, at least pushing. But I think Mick and, you know, and in fact, they're all pretty good for it. When people, for me, an unforgivable sin is first one on a weekend breaking a rim. Yeah, what were you doing? <laughs> yeah, like, right. You walked it, but now we're going to coast it, and then you're going to decide where you can push. Yeah, but if you come back like a busted front wheel on a front, the first wheel on a first one on a World Cup. Yeah, like limited run time anyway. Yeah, it's just like you, pillock.
0: Like, you, were, you know it, what I mean. You wouldn't have mixed, liked me. <laughs> oh, real
1: Mick's real experience. You know, he, uh, he, yeah, he, he, he's he knows when to push the bike, knows when not to. Yeah, but he's also deadly smooth. You wouldn't think it because he's such a muscular yeah, guy, but it's. Pretty impressive to watch. It's
0: funny. There? I always have a bit of a reputation of being smooth, but actually I used to break more things on bikes than the rest of people. Mark Beaumont was winning World Cups yeah. and you know he looked more ragged than I did, but actually mm. I think I looked smooth but would punish the bike. Mm. And I remember going to mont anne and hitting a bog, going off a drop-off, hitting a bog on my first run, mm-hmm. flipping over the bar, sort of getting covered in crap. Mm. And my bike, you know when they sort of catapult I mean it oh, went yes, down yeah. into the woods and I snapped a set of Fox 40s in two oh, when it, a it, it splatted against yeah, the Trud tree man. <laughs> <laughs> and then obviously yeah first run snapped a set of Forks what are you going to do I mm. had to walk down the hill it took me probably best part of an hour and go over to Fox with my cap in my hand saying excuse yeah. me can you help oh, me help oh this? it's
1: so bad yeah I remember KG did a crash at Fort Bill last year and he comes back I think something's bent. And you could see the handlebars were like, you know, an M shape. I was like, oh, obviously, obviously it's handlebars. <laughs> so I plays the handlebars. And this is, yeah, I think also as a viewer, when you watch the Red Bull livestream, you don't understand how limited practice one is.
0: Yeah, right. Well, yeah. it's different back in my day. You used to get lows and lows, mm-hmm. so it was simple. But yeah, now but they're a bit against it's the It's
1: tight. So when someone comes in with a big mechanical, you almost want to have a second bike. Just go on that, but yeah. it's not
0: really the way. There can't be many teams running... Wow, actually, does anyone run identical bikes? Because I remember when I've, Minar yeah. had a bit of a mechanical issue at Val de Soleil, and they were scrabbling around trying but to get that a bike was, ready. that
1: um, what's that, uh, Remy? Tyrion? Actually, no, he rode for Polygon before, and then he went to Giant. Is it Go, Govin?
0: Oh, Govin, who races, does he race Enduro now? Oh, he maybe?
1: does, no, it's, it's a different guy, it's a French guy. I don't think he ever really said more, but okay. he, he used to race for uh, Polygon a couple of years ago, then went to Giant. And he apparently instinctively knew what was going on right and just grabbed the frame and just legged it right literally Mick not Mick um, you know Greg was still on the floor getting the dust out of his eyes yeah apparently yeah. this Frenchman was just making an absolute beeline to the Santa Cruz pits why like and he, he saved it it's green 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 something oh, oh man sure. we'll, we'll yeah put something over the top,
0: right? <laughs> in- insert name here. Because that would be a real shame. I remember back in the day, G. Atherton actually missed his finals round. It wasn't because of any mechanical, actually. It completely separate, but he was just too lazy. Didn't get up to the top in time and missed the last round of the World Cup Series. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and I lost loads of them. points, dropped loads of positions yeah. and got a fine, actually, from his manager at the time. Ooh, for yeah. missing it.
1: Well. well, Sam has a this would be right to say Sam's got a clause in his contract that he has to try Sam Reynolds Sam Reynolds he right. has to make an effort because he's so <laughs> laid back <laughs> oh my god, yeah. and apparently there's a story he told me he was just like apparently in some pub in Whistler yeah, watching the live feed of the dual speed and style yeah. with the burrito <laughs> look at the guy there's someone at the start gate they're not They're not even there what an idiot oh, no. where is Sam Reynolds <laughs> oh my god <laughs> <laughs> so as a mechanic
0: you've got a deal with these sort of characters who yeah. some are more professional than others should we yeah. say? and you've got to be a friend almost be like a golf caddy where you've got to advise them mm-hmm. on tyre choice whatever it may be yeah. is, is that fun or is that difficult I love
1: that yeah, yeah. I think it depends it depends who you're working with because you kind of want it's the whole like you know uh, what's unstoppable force and a moving object. Yeah. You don't want two people that are so robust in their ideas they'll never change. Yeah. But if somebody is too too easily swayed, it makes the whole exercise pointless. Yeah. Right. You know, if you could say the sky's sky's pretty green today, eh? And they go, <laughs> Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> like what? You know, and and having a rider that knows what they want, but actually, what you're there to do is to help and guide them and inform them. Yeah. And kind of. You know, let it manifest in a detailed way. They might not know exactly, you know, about, and they don't really need to actually know what five clicks of rebound does, whatever. But actually, they can dis- if they can describe the symptoms, and then you can put it into action. Yeah, that's that's what's that's what they're good.
0: Um, talking about that, I I know some riders or some racers are really good at doing that, giving mm-hmm. feedback. You see it with people like Fabian Braille who developed things over mm-hmm. the years. But I'm convinced there was some BS with some riders where we'd go testing with Fox prior to mm-hmm. the season, and that same thing, like, I oh, try, fox it off and fit something in your fork, mm-hmm. and not tell you what it was, mm-hmm. and go off for a run. And it could sometimes be a placebo effect, mm-hmm. like maybe they didn't change anything, maybe they mm-hmm. did. And some riders would be saying, oh yeah, that was definitely better over this thing, or those two clicks definitely made a difference, and I wasn't always convinced that that mm-hmm. rider, or
1: those riders, yes. were feeling that. I think yeah. they were trying to say the right thing. I Yeah, I think there's a big, you know, that's a big pitfall. And I think, you know, i got a friend that used to ride for Salomon Skis. Yeah. And they basically have a camp once a year, but they got loads of skis and took the top sheets off all of them. Yeah. And then it would be like, oh, my God, you'd say. They wouldn't tell anyone, oh, my God, these skis are amazing. They might be vocal or whatever, you know. And it would be amazing if we could incorporate that more in mountain biking. Yeah. Because also you get people, I don't know, say you get somebody that is developing a bike who's been a pro rider, and obviously an incredible rider, and I'm, I'm not taking that away from them at all. Yeah if that rider, maybe over a 10-year career, the way that bike cycles go three or four years before you get a new downhill bike, they might not have actually ridden that many different bikes. True. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm I'm definitely. Not, I'm not saying to, I don't know, you've probably, since you've gone from being a racer to working here, yeah, I bet exactly. you've tried way more bikes. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Do you think you could develop a better bike now?
0: Um, I don't think I could. Mm. I'm. I definitely subscribe to that feeling that I'm not an engineer I know how I like a bike and I could give someone advice potentially but Mm. I definitely would not think about designing my own bike Mm. because I don't know what I'm doing and I think a lot of racers don't know what
1: they're doing yeah and I think it's almost kind of keeping up with the Joneses yeah looking over and you know you see like Loic with his like all that telemetry and stuff yeah and I think it actually does put a bit of fear in some people yeah I'm not saying it's not probably very accurate but if there's a I think there's probably an element of psychological warfare (laughs) do you know what I mean yeah and people are like, oh, you know, it's like in the twenty seventeen season when was throwing twenty nines together. Yeah. And everyone's gonna be throwing mullet bikes together. Yeah. But then was it last season or the season before? Um Laurie Greenland apparently went to Schladming and was doing faster laps on a twenty six, they just couldn't get tires for World Cups. Right, okay. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm not saying that it doesn't make a difference, but I think it's a long process of refinement. If something if something fixes all your problems, mm. it's probably you know, not... It's probably fake. It's probably it's probably in your head.
0: Yeah. You know, if it's if it oh,
1: sticking a twenty nine front wheel of a bike. Yeah. Everything's sorted. The world's a good place now.
0: I don't it seems like it. a very easy thing for people to do. To yeah. Pretty much any bike is stick a bigger fork on it, stick a twenty nine front wheel yeah. on it, and are people gonna do
1: that for round two, maybe? But then again if it makes the racer feel more
0: capable. Oh, so There's a lot to be said for someone feeling mm. better, especially when it comes to downhill racing. Yeah, totally. Especially that data acquisition, what I think about that is, it, I'm sure it can be really helpful, but you've also got to know what you're doing with mm-hmm. the results. So the yeah. actual raw data that comes out of that, do you know what you're doing with it? Mm-hmm. There's things now, uh, consumers can buy things like this, like the mm. Shock ShockWiz and even the Tire Whiz. I've always wondered how useful they w-
1: would be to your average motorbiker. Yeah, I don't really get the tyre whiz. I understand, the, I understand what it's there to do, right? But yeah. This is the thing. So, one of the hardest things about working on a race bike is consistency. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes you go to the top of the run and you see people check their tyre pressures there, and mechanics.
0: It's different. It's cold. But yeah. It's but they've been or...
1: checking it all throughout the week in the pits. Yeah. But then when your pits get hot,
0: yeah. So the pits are hot, but then
1: taking it out, it's cold. So, keeping pressures really weird. And it's got a little light that says.
0: Um, so, yeah, I always thought for me, it does sound a bit gimmicky, but actually I spoke to someone at Sea Otter, mm. um, and they showed me how you could just, when you go for a ride, you could press the button, and it will give you a green light if it's within a certain amount, plus one or plus two yeah. PSI of your desired setting, oh, oh, or it'll give you a red flashing light. I thought, for me, I'm lazy. Yeah. I quite
1: like that. No, that's great. I can just go boom, boom. Yeah, sorted. That's great, but if you set your tyre pressures in the garage all the time, yeah, and you don't say so you don't check it then, you get to the top of a run, yeah. where... It's, it's different. always not what you would expect it to be compared to your garage. Yeah. But then you adjust the tire pressures to suit it there. Mm. Well actually that's not the consistent, the constant one you've always had. It's about checking the same tire in the same place with the yeah. same temperature. Yeah. And it's really, and, it is, and getting that consistent, it's the same with, with forks. You know, you need to make sure the bike is cold, you need to make sure the negative air chamber's filled, you need to be using the same shock pump. <laughs> yeah, true. It's like people, oh can I, Five shock pump less to come in the shop. Can I have five psi less? No, it's pointless. (laughs) Yeah, like you can say you can have a bit softer. This is me being a grumpy bike mechanic. (laughs) You can have it a bit softer, Mm. but like, oh, I usually have 82 psi. Well, not with this one, you don't. Who God knows what the dial's. Yeah, Do you know, I don't know maybe that's a bit unfair but I've got a funny story about it
0: actually oh, God. so racing with Mark Beaumont he had a great mechanic Al who's now. who then went on to work for the Sky Road Team and become oh, wow. a big yeah. time mechanic get paid loads of money Early to leave, but for 3 or 4 years of work for Mark and he had this super expensive I think it was probably Michelin tyre pressure gauge mm-hmm. and they would always make it to the half PSI Mark would have his tyres mm-hmm. at this I can't remember what it was probably like 32 it was back when he had to run tubes mm. And uh, I remember Mark had had a really good year. I think he would won, he won a World Cup, probably Vigo that year actually, uh, and he'd done really well overall. I remember the last round of the year, I felt his tires, and I was like, "Holy smokes, that is rock hard." And and I was like, no, it's just, it's 28 or it's 32. And I was like, Pff, no chance, that is not 32. Mm. And uh, I got my pressure gauge, or put his pressure gauge on my tyres, and it was completely wrong. It mm. was like 15 PSR out. Mm. So this really expensive pressure gauge had been giving him mm. wrong tyre pressures all year. Yeah, I can And he'd that. ridden with rock hard tyres and done really well. Mm. And all I could think of was like, oh my God, you
1: could probably have done
0: a bit better if you yeah. hadn't
1: had those rock hard tyres all yeah. year. And it's the same when, say if you were testing, sometimes, you know, when if you were testing with, with a suspension engineer, but you're not there, and he's using his shock pump. Yeah. I never thought about that with shock pumps. And it's fair. like, I know, I mean, John, who's a mixed mechanic, who's just a fantastic mechanic, you know, he's really, really good. I've got a lot of respect for him. He is so particular about a shock pump. Yeah. He won't let other people use it. Because yeah. if you're not careful about your bike, right. and it has, you get a bit of dust in your air chamber, right. and then it sucks up in his <laughs> air chamber, then he oh, goes wow. to use mixed bike, you know, it yeah. break his heart. He pretty much sleeps with under his pillow. You know what I mean? And it's a lot... And another thing he did, which was really interesting, was before Cairns World Champs, he got all the tyres, seated them with no sealant, beaded them, judged them on how true they were, because they often have a little wobble, graded them one to three. Why? And then racing was one, practice was two, (laughs) three was nowhere near mixed bike on a race weekend. No way. Yeah, he did loads of stuff like that. He was in... I'd say mechanics, you know, you get the type that make it perfect and the type that make it work. Both... Neither neither one is better than the other. Yeah. Both have their place. I'm probably a make it work kind of guy. Yeah. You know, I can I can do it. I can do the stuff, but I'm probably less hung up with that obsessive tendency. I haven't go that. How much wobble would you see
0: just in the tire manufactured? Mm. How it, would you see much wobble? I've never noticed that. Um it you can do. Right. You can. Um I used to race on a rear wheel that most of the time was virtually hitting the chain stays anyway, <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it would have made much difference. Yeah, to totally.
1: Um you can do, and also you get, I mean, it, yeah, you, you, it can vary. and that it, it doesn't matter what the brand, it can vary. Yeah. You know?
0: Um, so when I started racing World Cups, it was 2000, and actually uh, Steve Pete supported me, so I raced for his royal team when that started out, and mm-hmm. part of the deal was I had help from his mechanic, who was Andy Kiffin, who oh, yeah. was Steve's mechanic for a long time, most of his racing career, I would probably say, especially the early days was really successful. And Andy had a bit of a sort of legendary status within the pits. Um, and I remember, so my first ever World Cup, uh, so Andy would look after my bike sort of outside of the season. I'd go up to his shop, Northwest uh, Cycle Centre, Mountain mm-hmm. by Centre, it was a really good shop. And he'd sort it out, completely top to bottom, take it apart, be ready for the race. But then when I got to the races, it was sort of up to me. I was only a junior, so you know I didn't have a pro mechanic. It was up to mm-hmm. me to look after it. First ever World Cup went to Leger, uh, 2000, and out of the start gate in qualifying, I snapped my chain, uh, absolutely gutted, and I rolled to the bottom, and I remember Andy Kiffin going absolutely ballistic with me, like Mm. it really upset with me, he thought that I'd sort of Shame on him for not for not checking my chain. Basically, mm. link every single link. He said you should have checked that chain every link. Mm. And at the time, I was flabbergasted. I was like, "That's crazy! Mm. I can't have checked my chain every link." Mm. And then it sort of dawned on me probably five years later when I'm moving up the ranks and actually that I should have. And actually, when it comes to it, and I was still doing some of my own mechanics, I would, especially actually in my later years racing enduro mm. and I was looking after my own bike. I would mm. check everything, every bolt. Yeah visually inspect my bike, you know, clean it and yeah. check every link on my chain, even if it's just running it through my hands. Mm-hmm. But at the time I couldn't believe that a pro mechanic would be telling me that, that mm. you would have to check every single yeah. nut bolt. Them.
1: And I'm I've I've always felt that the most important and hardest thing to do on a downhill bike that's being raced is just make sure the bolts are tight. Which sounds so basic and yeah. so stupid. But say if you smash a rim, that's kind of it happens. Yeah. Ever had several we'll loose, That's unforgivable. Has, have you ever
0: had anything like that happen in a race that was um, definitely your fault?
1: I once on Vonnie Vidman's bike didn't do the seat the seat seat post clamp. I did it up as tight as you would have it. This is my second of a World Cup. Yeah, I did it up as tight as I would have it at home. Yeah, but kind of that recommended talk kind of goes out the window a bit. She basically. <laughs> I think she got kind of, she stayed on the bike, but she twisted the saddle. She had a yeah. bit of a saddle bounce. Right. And then suddenly she's riding at the saddle with it, like, you know, two to actually a, really a quad. Hard. Yeah. And it makes it riding really, really difficult. Yeah. And so that, but anything like that, as far as I'm concerned, another, another really good example was actually my first uh, race with Tracy. So I went to Australia. Tracy with, Hannah. Tracy Hannah. Yeah. For national champs in a place called Bright just outside Melbourne. Met Tracy, obviously utterly lovely. Both of hands were like, "Yeah, this was like good people. this is big time for me." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, right. God, <laughs> don't mess it up. <laughs> don't mess it up. And she just had her shock serviced, and the technician at her local bike shop had put the, the shock back on the bike. But the, the the way the Schrader valve sits on the air can it had yeah. to be a certain orientation, right, to clear when it compressed. Yeah, otherwise. So you she can bend bend know, first sense. compression blew up the shock. Yeah, right. And she came back, not knowing what was going on, and for me. I'm the last person to touch the bike. Yeah, even though I didn't you know, know, it's on me. Yeah, like flat, f- and it's really it was a bit frustrating because you know you want to be trusted. Yeah, and in that moment you can either play the short game and go it wasn't me. Yeah, or you can actually just say like, for me it was always really important that whether I was right or whether I was wrong, what I always say would always be as true as I could. Yeah, right. I would never try and hide, and I think that short term it's like you sometimes look a bit of a pillock. Yeah. but in the long term they'll go actually, no, and then then later on in the line. We said, no, I tightened that bolt. Yeah, right. you know, they know i put my hands up if I didn't.
0: I can't think of anything, any examples spring to mind of anyone losing
1: a race because of a an avoidable mechanical. It oh, must be... But you, because you don't hear about it. You probably it. don't hear about it, yeah. Because people, honestly, it's sort of <laughs> information suppression. <laughs> I know someone, I was actually saying that, I did a tech video yesterday. Yeah. I'm not going to embarrass them with who, because <laughs> they were a bloody good mechanic and a great guy as well. Yeah. He forgot the uh, um, pin in the brakes. Oh the brake pads yeah, fall out. Because sometimes you've vehed in the bikes at yeah. two o'clock in the morning. I think I've heard of that actually. Yeah. yeah. And stuff like that. And that's bad news. Bad news. <laughs> and I mean Yeah, and, and, the, and there's lots of little things like that, that can go can go a bit south. But that's where having having a good relationship and trust comes in. And it's a really important thing to be trusted.
0: Yeah. And yeah. It's a difficult job, really. Like you say, you've got to look after every single thing on the bike, potentially be up late at night doing things. Mm. It's funny, from the outside looking in now, there almost seems like there's a hierarchy in the World Cup pits of some of these mechanics for the top riders are virtually celebrities themselves. Yeah. And they have a big following. Yes, they do. They've got, you see actually some of the stuff from, I think it was on Vital from the round one of the downhill with like John Hall, Aaron Mm -hmm. Aaron Gwynn's mechanic. Mm -hmm. His toolbox looks immaculate. You know, know, almost legendary stuff. I like
1: like nice tools. I take pride in my own toolbox. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really important to be, ultimately, so say if, you know, intense, they're paying his wages. Yeah, right. Know? So he's there to publicise them just as much as Aaron Gwynn is, basically, in my opinion. Yeah. That, you know, you're there I to represent the brand yeah. in the same way that you represent, we're both friendship, GMBN. Yeah. And we, are, we wear the kit and we're nice guys or we do our best to be and that sort of yeah. thing. It's really, really important. Um, But, you know, sometimes you yeah, see, there's a bit of kind of, How to put it? You you see in other pits or whatever, and you you observe it, and it's like, "Ah, this isn't done. (laughs) And then a camera comes through and oh hi, (laughs) yeah. And that's just that's not me, man. Yeah, right. Like I know if I'm I'm quite I probably wear my heart and my sleeve a bit too much, and if I'm stressed, I'm stressed, and if I'm not, I'm not, Mm. and if I'm if I'm an angry, whatever I am, and you know, I could. Some people kind of that kind of cult of personality is not something I really get into, but you do see it a lot, and fair enough. I mean, if if fucking you know. But as their toaster, am I to say? But yeah, <laughs> you know. But there's also sort of stepping stones.
0: Same as a racer, like there are the smaller teams, the bigger teams, and you have to work your way up. Oh yeah. And I think sometimes from the outside looking in, people don't realise how tight the budgets are on the smaller mm. teams, and actually, people can be let down by. Things not happening, maybe not getting paid. There's a lot. Of, oh, not yeah. to say there's a lot of crooks in the business, but no. there are a lot of chances that want to have a dream team and run a World Cups thing, and it, yeah. it doesn't always work out. Yeah. And I've definitely fallen foul to that in the past, and I'm sure
1: you know as a yeah. mechanic, you've seen that happen as well. Oh yeah, and you know, there's I've heard of stuff like you know, yeah, you know, that company A gets pulled by company B. Yeah, company B says exclusively. You are not allowed to sponsor anyone this season because you don't have you don't have a marketing budget.
0: Yeah. Right. You know, we're
1: restructuring your company whatever. You don't that is not an option. Then a week later, Company A signs with a team. Yeah. And I've 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 seen it happen from an external point of view. I've I've been kind of in the circle when that's happened. Yeah. Oh yeah, you know, however much X amount of money. Yeah, you'll get it in a in June after Fort Bill. <laughs> I mean, I don't think yeah. it's... I think it's just naivety. I yeah. think... I don't think it's... I, yeah, I don't think it's anybody kind of, you know, trying to there are screwing very, on over. But
0: well, I say, I think there are very few bad people, bad high people in the business. It's just sometimes people are more uh,
1: ambitious than actually is yes, realistic. So. And sometimes it doesn't work out. So I think in company A-Mind, they think oh, but with this new turnaround, we're going to get such a good product out there and Company B is just going to say, wow, you did such a great job and you sponsored a World Cup team. Good on you. That's some (laughs) initiative. It never works like that, you know? So going back to the World Cup, Daniel, um, did you have a favourite track or favourite place to visit? Um, I think if it wasn't for the Midges, yeah, Fort Bill. Yeah. But, you know, I love going somewhere that has a riding community yeah and you see all those people come out you know they all come out the woodwork and they will travel all over the UK to be fair to go to Fort Bill and it's really special man it's cool and yeah it's, it's definitely insane, it's similar like Rotorua yeah awesome community and then you go to some places where they're not even a bike shop in the 100 miles yeah right there's no like literally sometimes you go places and there's no there's a downhill track the World Cup track and there's literally no other riding apart from that yeah d- and I it's a bit like, like why are we here I've seen it. Like, I it should be about legacy
0: as well for me, more than just... Absolutely. We see it at uh, the more exotic ones like Brazil back in the day. Everyone from South America would travel to that race. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. Um, I raced in Japan in 2000, mm-hmm. and that was huge. That's the most spectators I've ever seen uh, a World Cup Daniel race.
1: I've heard like, that. World Cup's going back
0: there. Really? I'd love yeah. to see that. It was a, I don't know. I was like, oh my God, is that... In the I've Canada? not heard that, but I've, I'm not I in the loop have... enough to have heard that,
1: probably. I have heard, because there's they want to get more rounds in North America. Yeah. There always used to be, when I raced. And and just think how much that could upset the balance. Yeah. So, Mr. Big Trucks in Europe, that's not available to them anymore. Yeah. And then suddenly, a company like, let's take an example, which, you know, this does have a big factory programme, but in the last few years hasn't. They've probably got a lot more resources in terms of, not just money, but in terms of trucks available to them, contacts, that sort of stuff, than North America. Yeah. So suddenly, actually, because... And that's why I have so much respect for, you know, the Kiwi guys, the Van Zaks, who kind of now is like this big, you know, huge kind of media thing. I right? know <laughs> yeah. they, they're all great lads, obviously. Yeah. But those guys, they go to Europe, they live in a van. It's they, the other side of the world for them. Yeah, they race, they train. The they don't just, you know, people in Europe, two World Cups and the Bounce, so there's like a month off before the next one. Yeah. They go home, they relax. Yeah. Even there's a week before, week between races, they go home and they relax. Those people from the other side of the world that are sleeping in a van, still having to train, still having to do all that other stuff. I've got so much respect for them. Yeah, definitely. Really mix up if we go to North America. Yeah. Because even just going between, you know, yeah, easy up and hotels is more exhausting than being in a, in a nice race truck with a yeah. kitchen and.
0: you know. Yeah, it's hard. I'm in back in Japan. They would. Because uh, it was so hard for people to get there and so expensive, I think the UCI would stump up a certain amount of cash per mm. rider to go there if you had the points. But obviously, when you get there, no one has a, a setup. Really, you yeah. just work out at the pits.
1: And that's—it's funny the the reputation the UCI has in mountain biking, which I'm not going to say is undeserved or deserved. It's—it <laughs> is what it is. Yeah. But I would love to see the UCI coming in and doing stuff like, you know, if you are say like they have they have an income threshold for a team. Yeah. If you get getting this, then your riders, like in road cycling, yep. if you're a pro-continental rider, you get at least this. Yeah, right. Because you sometimes hear about fantastic riders, you know, who basically, got, say, got into a, a long-term deal or something like that Yeah. and working like absolute dogs in the off-season. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's the kind of the, the, the growing pains that mountain biking the World Cup's going through. Yeah. And I know I think the UCI governs the sport, but I would like to see more kind of progressive leadership, I suppose.
0: Yeah, you always get the story that the UCI are just, they're such a big organization. Road is so much bigger, and track Mm. and whatever for them, that that's where, I suppose rightly, that's where their resources go, but it does feel like mountain biking, especially downhill, is the sort of, you know, the poor cousin that doesn't really get much attention, but it's difficult. It's uh, Red Bull, particularly, are doing a great job, but they have, they seem to have a lot of influence.
1: Yeah, it makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. To be
0: honest. yeah a sugar like, drink that has that much influence yeah. on i and mean just, they've got a lot to be thanked for with what they give us but
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah but you hear about them cutting out roots at gang to make they want apparently want the home i mean i don't want to stand on any toes everyone's probably going to go you're yeah. completely wrong and i probably will be just here so. <laughs> but they wanted the tightest race the rumor was they wanted the race really? as tight as possible at Gang because mm-hmm. then it's a better spectacle to the non-initiated mountain biker yeah you know people that see tight racing assume that's a better race. Well, I'd rather see Sam Hill put however many seconds into people of de Sol. Yeah, true. But they were like cutting out roots, and you know that. Then the backlash was we have got that new upper section of de Sol, right? But they, I think they, they took it too far. Yeah. And I don't know you hear about them like that thing where only on the podium can you drink Red Bull, and it's just like guys, like
0: it's difficult, isn't it? You can see why they would want that, but when you're telling people riders that their income is from other. Yeah, shouldn't we drinks or whoever it. that they can't promote their company so that's, yeah. that's that and that's only going wrong. to harm the
1: growth of other companies coming in
0: yeah you know, people know, so not want to yeah. yeah
1: we need to make it more you know I heard there's a thing in Formula 1 I think it's called the Concord Agreement or something okay. which basically said for years that Formula 1 needed to be on a free to wear platform which is why there was such uproar when it in the UK went to Sky yes. because that's what advertisers want they want a variety of people you know what I mean so yeah, they can right, actually so and it encourages people so to come it's in. it's accessible. Yeah. yeah. If we if, if it starts closing off, I think it's gonna it could have longer ramifications. I don't know.
0: Who knows? I think World Cup seems to be going for strength at the moment, mm. so hopefully it keeps going on that. And we'll, yeah, um, yeah, it's it's always fun. I, it, for me, I love watching it again after mm. sort of being a part of that scene for a long time. After leaving, I didn't I didn't really want to watch it for a year or two. Mm. What are you feeling like now that you're
1: not oh. there? Got, missing it i was got real bad fear of missing out at one point <laughs> yeah real bad and then um and then that that is like you know there's there's fomo and then there's jomo joy of missing out right okay and i just yeah. think of all those that. people putting up those Hence, and you know and when you look at places like Maribor look like a great event oh, that's a cool it spot it is
0: man. really nice cool city as well Maribor I used to love it there yeah uh, just make sure we get out of the alley before it all kicks off with me <laughs> well, too late for the people that were there but <laughs> there used to be a really good pub down the alley and it would eventually get so rowdy that you had to leave before yeah. the police showed up did you I don't know I've not heard any stories from last week
1: if that happened my but- uh I once got told a story. I don't know if you were at this Mont Saint Anne World Cup. Mm. I think it was maybe 2009. Have you been? Probably, yeah. yeah. Where this guy, well, these guys went to the after party in Mont Saint Anne. Mont Saint Anne was always a legendary I after I it was, it like was like a 24 hour rave yeah. after the race. And this guy went there to basically, and I don't know if I was, you know, I was bloody, I was not involved at this point, but it just is a great story. <laughs> this guy went there to basically just have a big old fight. And so he went mm, round. I don't remember that. And apparently, like you know, <laughs> like big guys were going up to him trying to calm him down, just knocked out. Why? Knocked out. Apparently, this big. Sc- I would just love to see hear the inside story of that. Apparently, this guy's mate like made a little arm, like arm thing around <laughs> so no one could get in. Oh, apparently, it was just it was Fab Cuss that was telling me. Why?
0: Then, no, I didn't yeah, see yeah, that. Sounds one. absolutely well. <laughs> I do remember seeing someone. I won't say who it is. Who had just won the World Cup downhill that day and cool, was wasn't a very drawn down to options. Yeah. <laughs> But was a lovely bloke, but not a very nice drunk. And got super rowdy until uh, he eventually swung, hit someone, and knocked out that person and their girlfriend next to him. Yeah. (laughs) Or knocked over, should I say. Maybe not knock out. But it was pretty crazy. There were some wild stories back in the day.
1: Apparently, it doesn't happen quite as much nowadays. No. but Especially riders. Yeah, I don't know. Like A lot of times, it's just like people are, I don't know. I have never... Actually, I tell you, lie. I was going to say I've never been to a massive afterwork, but that's a
0: <laughs> But there aren't. It's not as prevalent as you think. Really? It would be. Yeah. So back in my day, it was every week, every weekend there was a Daniel race. Yeah. The riders, ninety nine percent of the riders would be at the party, Different. and I think all the mechanics would be definitely. But it's like yeah. it was work hard, play hard every mm. weekend, mm. and there was people like Nico that you would see at the last part of the year, probably.
1: But other than that, almost everyone was there every week. Yeah. Maybe I'm just not in the right circles. There's probably a great <laughs> party going on behind me. And uh, I didn't get the Facebook invite or something. No, I heard um, in La Bresse was a good party. But that was right. like, I think it depends. I think someone's really got a take on the mantle. Yeah. Like when Comments were like... Oh, was it Lenside? I can't remember. No, La Bresse, yeah. When like, you know, someone wins something over there. I think it was pretty yeah. big, but otherwise... I think was. in fact I got
0: bored of them. After a while, there was definitely... There was sort of the 18 to 22-year-olds who were... Uh, abroad drunk mm. and it would get boring once you were 26 28 you'd be like oh god it's going yeah, on here we oh, go again yeah, someone's totally. smashing glasses doing <laughs> stuff that's probably fun when you're 18 but yeah. eventually you start just frowning and thinking <laughs> oh, this isn't why are we doing this, this? Is,
1: yeah totally totally but
0: yeah I, I think i need to get myself to some races this year well fort william mm-hmm. there's never really a few shandies i mean it's all right fort william for partying but it's not the best 'Cause there's a weather weather spoons and that's about it. <laughs> <sighs> there was a good Red Bull, I don't know was it was a Jeep party. And it we had free drinks, that always helps with partying, I suppose. Yeah. I remember no, it, it Josh Bryson happen. getting thrown out of that party for climbing on top of the Jeep because there was a bike <laughs> on a bike rack on top of the Jeep, oh, and nice. then he thought it'd be a good idea to try and ride that bike. Yeah, yeah. And the head of Jeep did not think it would be a good idea, so I Josh was say. thrown out of <laughs> the back door. Josh Bryson's name <laughs> Um, Shaped bump in the bonnet Yeah Although I think he did reappear At some point (laughs) Um, Yeah So have you got any good Wild stories from
1: World Cups Or is it all too Oh I think Getting too serious Actually I'm trying to A non Without (laughs) Last year We had a pretty weird one Going down to Leergang So I mean you know I was saying the joy of missing out So like for instance I flew From my parents house In Stratford-upon-Avon Flew to Toulouse to pack the truck, which is like like you know when you're going to say Montserrat, for instance, that's thirty boxes, right? And like you're jet lagged before you even get on the plane, like I've I've done before, like like yeah, yeah. We it was, it was, we our warehouse in a place called Cast, and it was called the Cast all nighter because <laughs> I'd always have to do an all nighter before we left, yeah, right. And so many that, that would did like you know thirty six hour. Well, anyway, so I did that, fine. Went up to Fort Bill, so I drove in the truck, which obviously only goes hundred k. All the way to Scotland, which is a long way. Yeah, right. Just as we got off the ferry in um, kind of north of England, puncture, which oh. is like seven hours outside of Motorway. No problem, you take it, it's fine. Got to Fort Bills, set up, sweet. Then driving to Leargang, which is also a really long drive. When we got to Germany, actually sorry I should say. This is a bit naughty, but they'd be like, Okay, so you're pretty tired. You can slip sleep in the back of the truck if you want to. Yeah, you, know? you still a lot of that. Stuff Obviously, you know, past. it's a bit it's a separate yeah it's a sep it's a whole lorry body that could detach from the trucks. So it's a bit dodgy. Yeah, yeah. So um I'm there, like this was going down to Frankfurt. I'm That's there. the polygon truck, is it? Yeah, the polygon yeah. truck. And basically I used to download like like Age of Empires, and of those old games I used to play. Because basically <laughs> you could play them when you're really tired and you've got like a ten hour drive and you just sit there, like Yeah. So I'm I told the manager I was going to be upstairs sleeping. I was downstairs in the kitchen, just a cup of coffee, <laughs> yeah. and we had another puncture, oh, and man. the wheel exploded, which is basically that about a bit half, it's about a, half a meter away from me. <laughs> like, and then I'm just like, <laughs> like, like the whole truck's like bouncing up and down. I'm like, like so I'm like absolutely. Like, oh my god! So I like try and like, you know, put everything away whilst the truck's like <laughs> yeah. slowing down. And oh, what's happened, guys? Oh, <laughs> I was just upstairs getting some kip, whatever, and um. Anyway, so we get 10 hours by the side of the motorway. Oh, oh man. Conferred. So we get this all sorted. Yeah. Fine, then we carry on. We're driving for about two hours, and we get flagged down in this routine stop by German police. I think I've heard about this. It uh, Wasn't the story that the, the truck is too big? Oh, yeah, but the story you didn't hear right. was that I was asleep in the back still. Oh, and man. I just got a message <laughs> saying, don't, don't move. Don't make a noise. Don't come down, because they'd said, sweet, so three foreign nationals, um, yeah. you know, Passports. Whoa. So they were in the front and they go oh, three passports man. down. So then we basically were lying to the police <sighs> and they're walking around and I just hear this guy go, oh, the truck's uh, quite tall and they get yeah. a tape measure out. Oh, it's uh, too big to travel on German roads. Then what? What did so, you do then? Well, then, the, bit that, the trouble bit with this guy was like, I'm actually a bit of a mountain biking fan myself. All oh, right. Okay. Is it okay if I take a look inside the truck? I've always wanted to. <laughs> and I could hear him through the <laughs> so I get my, I've got like a little crappy curtain, on, because it's like bunk beds. Yeah. So I like, pull it along and stuff my feet down the side of the bed, and I'm just lying there like, <laughs> oh, God, like hidden yeah. away. Like, and then I'm just like my, trying to make sure my phone's on silent and stuff. And they come in, and they're having this com- long conversation in German. Ah. stood like I, this guy's knees are like like you know like just under I could see through the little Hessian curtain and I was just like oh my god they're like oh it's amazing wunderbar. all this and like, that yeah. and the other walking around they were in there for a long time man and I'm just there just like, oh god so they leave and then I eventually <laughs> <laughs> so we we had the, we had were stuck there for a long time while they were doing all this regulation check and trying to find out what to do and um, eventually like I looked out the window and I just heard the door open and the team manager she was like Henry run and so they were the other side, oh, the back, wow. so it's like parked longways, the other side of the truck, and yeah. the door on the side opened kind of halfway down the rectangle, if you see what I mean? yeah. And he just said, run in a straight line. <laughs> to <where> to? <laughs> Sorry, just, to a hedge. <laughs> to a bloody hedge, mate. I've been in that truck for about 10 hours. Um, I needed, a, I needed uh, to go to the toilet so bad. I was yeah. hungry. So I'd run into a hedge <laughs> and like went along it, into the back of a service station, just gorged myself on like awful food. And then had to just sat there watching the truck, pretending not to have come oh, why? in the truck as they were there for like, another couple of hours. And then we just got a Mercedes Sprinter that we oh, basically we had to unhitch a trailer, drive along, get a rental car, and then we got a Mercedes Sprinter, plumbed as much stuff in there as we could. Nightmare. And absolutely spanked it to And We got there like... Wow. It was touch and go, man. Wow. Some funny road stories. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and then there's stuff like... Actually, my favourite story of last year was... Um, <laughs> John got the wrong day to fly to St. Anne. <laughs> oh, no. And we were like, John, where are you? He was like, the flight's tomorrow. We were like, no, it's not. Oh, and he was like, oh... Right, okay. And basically that situation, you've got to shout out your own tickets, it's your own fault. Yeah. You know what I mean? And um and he rings up Mick because Mick 'cause Mick's got a bad hand and isn't sure if he's gonna race. Yeah. He's like so Mick. How saying, oh, are hey, you? Man. So uh I'd love to come to Montan, but just making sure you're gonna race. Mick was like, I don't know, I mean I might do. It? Mm. It's like I think you probably shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> totally like I'm happy to buy the ticket. But, oh god! Uh, I'm, you know, he's like buying a house and stuff at the moment. Like, you know, he's yeah, it's gonna like, be a thousand couple, quid. Yeah, yeah totally a thousand quid. He was just like, so, like, <laughs> I'm really supportive of your choice to race. I'm happy for you to race, but man, if you're not going to race, just let me know now. No, I'm pretty sure I'll, I'll give it a go. Yeah. Okay, cool. I mean, do you want to hop on? You have not been a downhill bike since the crash at this point. Yeah. Do you want to hop on the bike and just roll it on the car park and bring me back? Yeah, and bring me back. <laughs> uh no, I, I mean. I'm 50-50, but I'll probably race. Yeah. So John goes over there, Mick doesn't qualify. He's oh, just there uh, like. Gutted. Oh my, God. he's like, no, it's fine. Yeah, no, no worries. And obviously, you know, you couldn't be angry. Mick, he gave it a good shot, just his hand was yeah. sore. But it was just like,
0: yeah, yeah you sweet, it's cool, cool, cool. <laughs> I remember a story, a road story back in the day. The hope, you know, hope technology breaks. There um, It was at Willingen, I think. We had a round world up there. And one of the guys, had driven the van a bit too enthusiastically, should we say, and put mm. it in a ditch. And it was that oh, no. it was sprinter yeah. kitted out. Oh, it was a really cool sprinter, like the best racking. You can imagine the amount of spares they have there. So olives for whatever, bolts for whatever, thousands of things, and then mm. thrown it into this ditch and there was stuff everywhere, and Mm. he had to ring up uh, Will Longdon, who was my team manager at the time, say, can you go to a hardware store and buy as many buckets as you can fit in your car and come and help us out? And they were (laughs) shoveling buckets out of this, like, you know, like a a wet, uh, you know, uh, ditch, like a dike, with buckets of hope kit, and that's, I think the van was written off. Yeah. 20 grand's worth of racking inside the van was written off and all that oh, stuff. I think no, uh, no, no, no. the guy kept his job but I think he had some explaining to do when he got
1: back to uh, Oh my God, that would suck. <laughs> that would absolutely. Because there's stuff like that, there's stuff that goes wrong and you know, you see it before your eyes and you're like, okay, yeah. call least an old imagine opening those van doors. Oh, please, please baby Jesus. What can, no! you, what can you do? <laughs> what a nightmare. Yeah, yeah man. Um,
0: what about sort of Downhill bikes, can you, can, is there anything you can think of like future downhill tech that we might see? Yeah. Obviously, we've seen electric, electronic gears come to trail bikes. Yeah. I see that potentially crossing over. It's one of those things you don't need. I've ridden, yeah. ridden the boat that Shimano and SRAM, I think it's nice, and then I sort of forget about it when I go back to my normal bike. But do you think that could potentially come to downhill?
1: Yeah. I think that like, in some ways, like in my kind of experience, like Shimano's been lovely to live with, yeah. SRAM's been great to race this on like your trail bikes, you know? Yeah. Like, I feel that Shimano's like such a smooth shift and it's just like easy, easy going. Yeah. But when you're actually dropping the hammer, yeah, right. That, like, bang of, of SRAM yeah. is so nice. Yeah, true. And I, and I think that kind of when being pushed aggressively, that's when having a nice group set I think yeah, electric, comes into it. Electric gears, uh,
0: what I do like about it is they're so quick to shift. Mm. I think maybe you can see them on Daniel Bonds.
1: I would think it'd be really cool. I think there's going to be stuff like, you know, enduro bikes. I'd love to have a saddle. And shock jigged up so when the saddle was up the compression dialed up someone's done that i'm there i think i can't remember who. If, if it was wireless it'd be so neat yeah true and, and similarly i'd love to have you might have seen troy brosnan on his bike he had rounded out or basically had a spacer on his cassette so he could slide yeah. it in so it's been more active yep so uh, i did that as a video actually last oh, year you?
0: and it really helps yeah the problem is shifting back out of it mm. can be a bit dicey but just snapping chains
1: what if you had a, a so it's electronic gear a neutral, like, a neutral, yeah, or something like that, or you could have. I think, I think people are kind of really, you know, a couple. I think people argue about what they understand. Twenty nine is easy to argue about because it's easy to understand. Yeah, true. I think the the kind of thing that's coming in with the high linkage bikes, people talking about brake jack and stuff like that. Yeah, because they're beginning to understand it. Yeah, and I think that maybe that could lead the market to be. I'd lo, I'd love to see more, you know, gearbox downhill bikes and stuff like that. Yeah. But that's just oh, me. it's
0: been going around for. 20 years probably yeah. that sort of dilemma of gearboxes that we and we still haven't seen a no. good one.
1: And I'd love to see in I think road biking is going a really interesting way where people are accepting that the bike that they want yeah. isn't necessarily the bike the racer wants. True. Yeah. You know, I would love. To, I would think downhill could become more of like a concept sport. Yeah. Not 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 necessarily. That I've, I've got. I would, I would. I would. I I can imagine it doing so. I'm not. I haven't really got an interest in it becoming one. But just enduro bikes have been so capable. And also, just like the long, super long, which is benefit if you are racing downhill, you want a long bike. Yeah. If you are going around, even some like the Menagerie trails around, you know, in the yeah. UK downhill riding, even you know, you yeah, might maybe. not necessarily you see so many people, you know, just like riding in bike parks and stuff that have these incredible long, low bikes. Yeah. But without sounding like I, you know, know it all they haven't got the basics of cornering dialed. Yeah, right. So it's just gone to waste. Yeah. True. They're basically just making their life
0: a lot harder. Yeah. And- I mean, you see a bit of that concept stuff with downhill bikes where they are getting longer, lower, slacker, but also, especially with the mixed wheel bikes, that's, well, maybe that's come from Enduro actually saying that because mm. Martin Mays has done it before. Yeah. Um, but that is not really out in the wider world yet. No one's really riding around, not many people are riding around their trails on those mixed wheel bikes yet.
1: It yeah. may come. I think, you know, with stuff like that Martin Mays stuff, You've got to look at it in the context of what Martin Mays has available to him. Yeah. It's not like he can just pick any bike up off the shelf. He's got to make GT bikes work best for him.
0: There's also something to be said for some of those races, like you say,
1: putting the big wheel in front, because they can't actually stick a big wheel in the back because they don't have the bike that will take it. Yeah. And you know, and I think so many people are so quick to jump on and you know Martin Mace is a great example. If you think he'd and apparently he's like, you know, talks about this. Yeah, when they got away from the iDrive like last year, whatever it was, yeah, that was the first full suspension bike he'd ever ridden. It wasn't iDrive, <laughs> oh, you know, like a whole new world was opened up to him. Yeah, and you talk about races, like oh, they can just do this, do that, and actually, the way that kind of it works, you know, like the twenty whatever it was, twenty twenty one stuff, is probably already concrete in, into production what's going to be made. Yeah, it's not just like it turns on a turns on a five pins. It's like yeah. it's a big beast. This bike industry we've got to work around. Yeah, totally. And I think you've got to view it in yeah. There's probably great bikes that ride fantastic with the mullet. they are probably great bikes that <laughs> ride fantastically with 29. But a good bike, a good rider on his day, yeah, right he's them. not going to tell the stopwatch, oh, actually, I've got 226. He's still going bloody quick, eh? Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, there'll always be the way. It's all, I hate you to use the word marginal gains because it's. The conversation yeah. it, but it is. I think races, well, all races are always looking for marginal gains yeah. everywhere. So I think,
1: I think, I don't know, I'm, I subscribe to that as well. You know, I'm not, I'm not shunning it. I just think in the wider, in the wider conversation, we have to acknowledge that riders don't have infinite resources to just turn to whatever they want. Yeah. It's not like you can just put his hand up, hi guys. So tomorrow I'd like, yeah. That's a long conversation and it's about bike cycles. Say if they bought out a bike last year that he doesn't like yeah well tough luck you're gonna to have to wait three
0: years and you also <laughs> you also have to have a certain amount of sway because actually oh, 2005 2006 i was riding a santa cruz v10 and mm-hmm. i didn't like it i couldn't get on with it at mm-hmm. all it just didn't suit my style of riding for me i had too much travel um but i couldn't go to santa cruz and say well, i think you need to change this mm-hmm. because they've got nathan rennie and they've mm-hmm. got steve pete winning mm-hmm. world cups and that yeah so my word has no sway with those with that company. Yeah, totally. So you also be able to you have to have a certain amount of respect to influence a bike company, mm-hmm. which
1: isn't easy to come by. And I think especially with consultancy firms, so when you're dealing with like say say you're making a bike, an ideal you know, Donahue bikes, I can just say to you this what I want, this is what I want. Yeah. But if you're outsourcing your development yeah. to a consultancy firm, yeah, right. suddenly it's not often the same thing. Yeah. Because they'll actually be working off a design principle. Yeah. You know, think of, you know, kind of is it Cesar Rojo who does the Mondraker bikes? Yeah. Daryl Boss oh, no. who does Reactor Play does the Polygon bikes. Like all these consultancy firms will basically have an idea in their mind and they'll probably pitch it to manufacturer yeah. about this is what's gonna happen. So you as a racer going Yeah, it doesn't I mean necessarily influence. You know, have, have you met an engineer? <laughs> <laughs> <You know>? yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely
0: interesting how people develop bikes and yeah, how racers have some influence, not yeah. that much. Totally. So, Emory, you're here at GMBN Tech now. He's yes. You've gone through the bike shop to the race mechanics. Yeah. To ending up here. That's yeah. Sort of, almost similar path to me, really. But would you have any advice for someone trying to get into the bike industry?
1: Oh, yeah. Just, um, I don't know. It's, I would say, don't be afraid to, like, you know, put yourself out there. Yeah. You know, just, like, especially with, like, your own riding. Like, I don't know. I think um, if you really enjoy riding bikes and you really want to work in good shops and you want to find that experience, then it's probably not going to happen in a small community bike shop in yeah, right. you know, Norwich. Put you know, yourself in the right environment. Yeah, get yourself out there. Get something, Just, you know, although it's not... Uh, I mean, there are probably lots of people that would disagree with this and call me complete opposite, you know... But just being like an easygoing, nice guy is probably, you know, for those people. He's an absolute pillock, Don't listen to him. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like, I think if you like, if you just go to these in town, kind of just ride your bikes, enjoy yourself, and you know, I think if if you just, I don't know how to put it. Yeah, be open to opportunity. Yeah, you know, and that's like, and don't be afraid to say, yeah, I'll do that. You know. I yeah,
0: you have definitely got to work your way up the ladder somehow. Eh? Yeah, uh, totally. Can't stop. Them the Top is the GMBN tech. Roll the top. I don't know. I don't know, man. It's bloody cool, though. I'm absolutely stoked.
1: It's nice
0: uh, awesome. yeah. Well, it's good to have you. Here. I think yeah, we'll thanks, wrap man. it up there. That is uh, the second ever GMBN uh, podcast. Nice. Um, yeah, available on Spotify, Apple, uh, on Audio Boom. Where else? Uh, Deezer, hopefully, and Google. Uh, Next week is the EWS Madeira. So I think it's me and Martin in the studio for that one chatting over results. But yeah, that's it for this week. Cheers for joining, Henry. Sweet, thanks, man.